Amen. Isaiah chapter 50. If you've got a Bible around you, please open that up. And if you don't have a Bible around you, there's Bibles in the seats uh, in front of you underneath, and we'd love for you to take one of those Bibles out. And Isaiah chapter 50, we're going to go through all 11 verses, so it won't take us real long to journey through that this morning. Isaiah chapter 50, if you look in your bulletin, you see that I I labeled this, Christ listened to his Father to save those who listened to him. Listening to instruction is a pretty interesting thing. I was the coach of a flag football team uh, a few years back. Uh, a junior flag football team, and it was uh, it was an interesting experience. Let's just say that, uh, and uh, it was one of those things where uh, I don't know how I ended up being the coach of this football team. It was my first year of coaching anything. I'd helped as a parent and do things like that. So it was uh, you know it was one of the city league things, and it was uh, it was I think it was eight on eight seven on seven, something like that. And so I, I dove in and learned, made a playbook and did all of the stuff that any phenomenal coach would do. And it's so, yeah, see, you're listening. And, and we, we started on our way and we started practice and it became very apparent to me very quickly. There were some kids that listened and some that didn't. And you were like, uh, hey, Dude, if you want to play, you need to listen because if you don't listen and if you don't learn what we're doing, you're going to be off in left field, or in this case, the left corner of the end zone, and doing nothing. And so these kids would listen and you'd have to come up with all of the different ways to try to engage them to listen. And it was a fun year. It was a great first year of coaching for me. We went to the championship game, and it was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was, it was pretty cool. But it was amazing to me how well many of the kids listened. And then there were just a few that you were just like, hey, why are you even here? Why are, why are you even here? And Isaiah 50 deals with a lot of that type of mentality where... God is saying to his people, why are, why are you not listening to me? What, and, and there's ramifications for not listening. In sports, if you don't listen to the coach, guess, guess how much time you get to play? Zero. And if parents would come up to me and say, hey, I, you know, you're not playing my child much, I'd say, well, they're not listening. Well, you know, you should play more. I'm not. Fire me. I'm free, you know. <laughs> that type of thing. But Isaiah 50 is about listening. And if you zip to the last few verses of it, it has a challenge in there. It brings us to a fork in the road and says, who are you going to listen to? Are you going to fear the Lord, listen to his servant Christ? Or are you going to go to and walk by your own light and by your own wisdom? And if you do, you're going to lie down in torment. I just gave you the ending of the sermon, so let's pray and we're out of here. No, it's... But let's look at this in detail, and I pray, and I already have been praying, and we've been praying about this message like we do every single uh, time and day during the week and this morning, Uh, and, and my prayer is that we listen to God. How many times did Jesus say that, right? He who has ears... To hear, let, 
Let him hear. And so that's what he wants us to do every time we open his word. So I pray that this would hit you in a way that would be memorable, transform, and as you listen and apply, you change direction or you make alterations in, in, in what's going on. So first we see in verses 1 through 3 here, a, a nation who refused to listen and what was going to happen with that and what did happen with that. Verse 1, thus says Yahweh, where is the certificate of divorce by which I have sent your mother away? Or to which of my creditors did I sell you? Behold, you were sold for your iniquities and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. Why was there no man when I came? When I called, why was there no one to answer? Is my hand so short that it cannot ransom? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, I dry up the sea with my rebuke. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stink for the lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. God's speaking here. And in some ways, yes, it's difficult if you just read this and not put it into the context of what's been going on to understand what's, what's happening here. But Isaiah, the prophet, is spanning about 100 years uh, into the exiles in Babylon, explaining how that came to be and they're, why they're not in their promised land. And he uses the image of marriage and divorce here, which would be very familiar to those who read the prophets of the Old Testament quite a bit, uh, the image of Israel as, as being God's wife in that imagery. And in some way, that imagery where God has married Israel, but Israel was adulterous, Israel was unfaithful to God. He's using that image of marriage in Jeremiah chapter 2, he says, I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me in the desert. Israel was holy to the Lord. Many times in the prophets, we have this image, this marriage image. And God is saying that, that Zion, her mother, Israel's mother, the ancestors, was sent away, put away by her husband because of the wickedness, because of the sins. And he used then the imagery of slavery. To which of my creditors did I sell you? So there they are, as though they were a wife that was put away, as though they were children that were sold into slavery to pay a debt. But it's interesting how this all is phrased. You know, can you rummage and find the certificate of divorce? You know, he's, he's asking these questions. You're, guess what? You're not going to be able to find it. I actually didn't sell you to anyone. You're, you're still mine. I didn't owe anything to anybody, and I can bring you back at any time, and I can renew this relationship anytime I choose. See, God, God's getting his point across here. He's saying, you know, what I'm doing here is I'm cutting off something. I'm cutting off those who will not listen. The self-righteous, the forgetful, the self-pity among people saying, you know, he's basically he's saying, understand you are here because you sinned. You're in trouble because you sinned. 
There's a proverb that says a man's own folly ruins his life, but his heart rages against the Lord. Why am I here? And does that ever categorize you in life? Maybe you do something really dumb. Maybe it's something that is incredibly immoral and sinful. You get into deep trouble because of it. And then what do you do? You rage against God. You rage against God and say, God, you don't love me. And it's not true. You have taken your own shovel and you have dug your own grave. That's the trouble you're in. And then God says, look, you know why this happened? Because you did not listen. You didn't listen. In verse 2, we see specifically there that Israel refused to listen to the sovereign God. He goes into the issue that Israel would not listen to him. You know, I called out to you, and you didn't answer. You know, are, you, are you deaf? When I summoned you, you didn't, you didn't come and obey me. It's like you couldn't hear a thing. We have two rooms back here in this building that have these uh, monitors in it that when you walk into the room, it turns the light on. And when those monitors go out, they make this really bad high-pitched sound. The beauty of it is, is if you're over 25, you can't hear it. (laughs) It's hilarious because I'll be walking by and I've had people, I've had people, you know, a lot of our young adults were like, this is killing me. And I'm like, well, you know, we've been trying to tell you. No, and... uh, (laughs) And they're like, there's something wrong in this room. And I go in there and I'm oblivious. I cannot hear it. And it's, and and, and God is doing the same thing here. He's like, am I not here? Have I not been shouting to you the love that I have for you and this is how you should live and you can't hear this? You are not listening. You can't hear it. Well, how did God do all of that speaking? Well, we know that he did it through his servants, the prophets, again and again. And they refused to listen. In 2 Chronicles 36, it says, The Lord sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on them. But they mocked God's messengers. They despised his words and they scoffed at his prophets until God said, enough, enough. And at that point, there was no remedy. And that's really the message that's going on here. And we see it recast again in the New Testament by Jesus in Matthew 21. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who planted a vineyard and he built a watchtower in it and a wine press and put a wall around it and he rented the vineyard to some tenant farmers and he went away. And in due time, he sent some messengers to the tenant farmers to collect the fruit, but they seized the messengers, they beat them and killed them. And so he said, I called out to you and you did not answer. 
You did not listen. God is a powerful God. And to think there is not ramifications to us not listening to him is just not smart. God has not lost any of his strength. He's not lost any of his power. He still does all of the same things that he can do back then. Today, if you look at verses 2 and 3, God, is, God can do anything. He can do anything. He's bringing their mind back here to the way they went through the Red Sea and how they made the fish die in the plague. He turned the water into blood. The fish died there in Egypt. God can still, all do, do, still do all of those things today. He'll go to war on behalf of Israel and rescue them. God is every bit as powerful now as He ever was. And so He goes, I'm still God. I'm still Yahweh, so why is it that you're not listening to me? Why is it you're not calling on me in the day of trouble? That's what he's saying to him. And then he goes on to say, pay attention, pay attention. And he starts talking about the suffering scholar in verse 4. Pay attention to me, O my people. Give ear to me, O my nation. For a law will go forth for me, and I will set my justice for a light of the peoples. I jumped to chapter 51, I'm sorry. Let me go to 50. Although that's great words too, pay attention. <laughs> Lord Yahweh has given me the tongue of the disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. Listen, listen. Have you, have you figured out what, what he's trying to get at here? Listen, people. Each section of the servant song is marked by this, the sovereign Yahweh, the Lord God. The initiative of the sovereign God lies behind everything in this passage. What does he do with all of his power? He sends us his servant. He sends us encouragement through his servant. How different the vision of God is from the understanding of some people that try to define God in different ways. Listening to people that like to define God in different ways outside of the Bible. Have you ever listened to someone that explains that God is a difficult personality? Have you ever listened to someone who says that God is nearly impossible to please? Have you ever thought about that when the truth is is that God the Son is so gracious, intercedes for us, wins over the, the saving grace for us. John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Sovereign love is the motivation behind the whole drama of redemption, behind Discipline. Isaiah presents the Messiah, Messiah here to us as a, as a well-taught, this is very interesting, a well-taught disciple. Disciple. 
The Messiah is a scholar who has given himself devotedly to the Word of God. And he's unlike any other conqueror, unlike Cyrus that is coming. The world has seen very few philosopher kings, but the servant of the Lord is given in the tongue of those who are taught, an instructed tongue, as it says in NIV. The point is, is that the servant of the Lord is well schooled in what? In the ways of God. Jesus Christ is not just loving, he's competent. He's wise, and he's wise enough to know how to help weak people. When everyone else fails, he sustains them with his word. When they are weary and weary from sin, weary with life, what happens? As we listen to the gospel, we find out that Jesus, as it was said, is the wonderful counselor. The sustaining ministry of Jesus, this gospel ministry of Jesus, requires more than thought, more than study, more insight than a condemning ministry, actually. It's real easy for a person to wag their finger at another person and say, you're wrong. It takes divine wisdom to understand God's grace and how to apply it in every case so that we can sustain weary, sinful people and help lives change to be like Him. Jesus gave Himself fully to that ministry. He didn't just say to someone, you sinned. He said, you sinned, and this is how we go about fixing this. Right? It was, all of that was him. And so he, we see here in verse 4 then, the learned servant. And he awakens us to listen to him. And then verses 5 and 6, Lord Yahweh has opened my ear and I did not rebel, nor did I turn back. I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not hide my face from dishonor and spitting. It was with an open ear that Christ became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. God, not my will, but your will be done. He didn't suffer as a secondary result of his commitments. Christ chose to suffer for us. It says there that he gave his back to those who strike and his cheeks to those who pull out the beard. Jesus walked into opposition with his eyes wide open. There was literally no place where Jesus wouldn't go and share the good news. To heal the sick, right? And not just the physically, but the spiritually. 
and it was full of truth of God's grace. And those that hated God, that wouldn't listen, even though they thought they honored him, were threatened by this radical change of understanding in their mind of what it means to truly be God's children. And man, they, they tormented Jesus for it. And he knew that was coming. It is interesting to note that the human heart naturally responds to truth, not with honest inquiry or even rational rebuttal, but because we are born sinners. And I think this is key to know, because some people, I hear people say this, you know, hey, at, at the end of the day, people are, people are really down deep good. <clears throat> That's not what the Bible says. At the end of the day, we are broken. And so our natural reaction is a sinful reaction to truth. And I know some people don't like hearing that, but if, if we were sinless, why would Christ take on our sin? And so the human heart naturally responds to truth with shrieking, with hatred. And Isaiah foresaw that right here. In a world as this, the, the word becomes flesh, had to suffer. And we will as well if we listen to him with the openness of the heart that will set our feet in his path. Martin Luther is one of many, many, many examples in this. He gave, uh, he was very well-scholared. He had a very prolific instructional ministry. You would know that, right? You know, he, he was incredibly well-read and understood God's word. And because of that, like, hey, we, the church has got to change because we're not doing this the way that the church should be doing this. We're not teaching what the church should be teaching. We don't believe correctly as, the, as at that time the Catholic church. We're not, we got this wrong. And he sustained many weary people, but his sufferings were huge. Later in his life, looking back at the opposition he had endured when saying, hey, we need to live the right way for God and we need to teach the right way, Luther wrote these words, for as soon as God's word becomes known through you, the devil will afflict you. He will make a real theologian out of you, actually, and will teach you by his temptations to seek and to love God's word, actually. For I myself owe my opponents many thanks for so beating, pressing, and frightening me through the devil's raging that they have turned me into a fairly good theologian, driving me to the goal I should never have reached on my own. It's interesting. One of the reasons we see widespread breakdowns in the wisdom of our world and the integrity of our world today 
is that we seem to have forgotten that God calls us to follow Christ, and He calls us to follow Christ into what? Suffering. What sustains us is not selfish predictability, but actually the unchanging word of the Lord. That's what we need above anything else. And in the end, all we have to offer others is that and the experience we have from that. Isaiah shows us the the servant of the Lord's sufferings. And the servant, he wasn't rebellious, but he wasn't going to turn back right? When we turn away from God-ordained hardship, we are rebelling against God and diminishing our own capability to breathe life into others. And so it goes further into verse 7 where the servant's confident that this is the right way. Even now, Lord Yahweh, help me Even now, Lord Yahweh helps me, therefore I am not dishonored. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. He who vindicates me is near, who will contend with me? Let us stand up to each other. Who has a judgment against me? Let him approach me. The servant of the Lord knew that obedience to God is always the winning move. The servant knew that's what's going to keep me going all the way. I'm going to be undaunted by any of this because who can contend with me when I am the servant of the Lord and following His way? He goes further to say then in verse 9, Behold, Lord Yahweh helps me. Who is He who condemns me? Behold, they will all wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them. Have you ever gone into the closet? And specifically, maybe for guys. I, you know, I don't know about gals on this one. But there's, uh, you got your suits in there that maybe you haven't worn in a while. And you go in there, and you know it's a you know nice wool suit or whatever. And you go in there, and you you pull the suit out, and you're like, I I, I don't remember these tiny holes <laughs> in the suit. Have, have any of you ever experienced that? And you're like, oh, uh, that would be a moth, or many moths. Maybe that's what was flying out of the closet the other day. But that's the picture given here. See, others misjudged Christ, but God helped him and his opponents, who seemed so powerful at the time, proved as durable as a garment being eaten by a moth. The victories and defeats of this life are not always what they seem. And in the experience of Jesus, and that's our paradigm, His faith was vindicated by an unexpected but unstoppable resurrection. And in His dazzling, immortal body that is forever alive, but also forever scarred, 
for us, Jesus will never suffer again. And that is what we see here. And you keep building this. This is what Jesus, the suffering servant, is doing, and this is why you need to be listening to him. And so Isaiah then comes to this climax and conclusion of, so who are you going to follow? The people that are going to be eaten alive by moths and just kind of fall apart at the end of the day and their philosophies and strategies and different things like that? Verse 10, who is among you that fears Yahweh? that listens to the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light. Let him trust in the name of Yahweh and rely on his God. Behold, all of you kindle a fire who gird yourselves with firebrands. Walk in the light of your fire and among the brands you have set ablaze. This you will have from my hand. You will lie down in torment. And you go, what? What is this all about? The reference to the Lord's servant here in verse 10 confirms that verses 4 through 9 are actually indeed a servant song. Isaiah challenges us to follow the servant with trust like he trusts. Who is really listening to the servant's voice? And there's a way to know. Isaiah builds a contrast in these verses that's kind of interesting. The person listening to the voice of Christ walks in darkness without a glimmer of light around him. Many years ago, up in Northern California, uh, out by Angel's Camp, there's a, there is a cave, set of caves there, and you can visit those caves, and they take you down the stairs to the bottom of those caves, and then what do they do at the bottom of the caves just because they love to mess with people, to tell everyone to stay still, and they flip all the lights off. And if you've not experienced something like that where it is like total darkness, it's wild. It is wild. And there's really nothing you can do but wait for the light. And isn't that the life of Christian faith? We often live in this perplexed motion like there's no way out. Now, it doesn't mean we're not obeying God. We might be there in the darkness because we are obeying God. But here's a great truth. Faith offsets darkness. Darkness is what faith is for. If there, that we can, it's there that we can trust in the name of the Lord. When I'm in darkness, I know that eventually I'm going to be led out. When nothing else in our experience makes sense, when there's no visible path forward, everything seems to be closing in around us, what should we do? We should take our stand on the revealed character of God and keep going in His will. Keep going in His will one step of the time. We should announce to ourselves again and again the promises of the gospel while we're in the darkness of whatever's going on. The bare word of God has the power to stabilize our panicked hearts. Our lives will declare that God is a good Savior even in the darkness of life. 
And it shows that we're really listening to Christ. Now, let's be real here because I know um, some of you have already thought this already. Uh, John 8, 12, Scott says, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That seems different than what Isaiah just said there. The darkness in Isaiah 50.10 is not the same as the darkness in John 8.12. The darkness of Isaiah 50.10 is the courageous, hard path of the Lord. While the darkness of John 8.12 is what, the darkness that's there is the abandonment by God, His face turned away, eternal death. And if you set Isaiah 50.10 and John 8.12 side by side, actually it's helpful. It suggests that walking through a dark season in this life, faithful to Christ, has more light to it than walking in the shining brilliance of your own brainstorm. It suggests that the darkness of, of obedience is better than the light of disobedience. God did not promise that he who would, uh, would never be confused and distraught. What he did promise is that we, he would never leave us or forsake us. Even when we can't see him, he surrounds us and guards us and leads us. And we can expect moments in this pilgrimage that we're all on when the only way into the light of life of John 8, 12 is walking in the darkness of Isaiah 50, 10. And which would we rather have? The darkness of faithful obedience leading to our vindication or the light of our self-will leading to endless miseries? And, and that's the question being asked. So what do we do with this text then? Very, very simply, be very careful how you listen to the Word of God. Jesus said that exactly in Luke 8, verse 18, consider carefully how you listen. Your soul depends on how you listen to God's word. Remember the parable of the seed and the soils? Are you the rocky soil, the hard soil? Are you the thorny soil or are you the good soil? Which are you? What do you do when you hear the Word of God? Another thing that I take out of this, because this is talking about the suffering servant Jesus, I am thankful to God that Jesus obeyed, that Jesus listened, that Jesus listened on my behalf. And I thank Him for that. I worship Him for that. Thank you for listening to the Father for me, for my salvation. Thank you that in you no one will bring any accusation against me that sticks in the sight of God. Thank you that I'm free from condemnation. I'm free from Satan standing to accuse me. I'm, a free, I'm free from all of that in Christ, the suffering servant. His vindication 
has become my vindication. And I thank Jesus because of that. And we need to be thanking Jesus for that. And that's one of the things we see here. Third, I know those of you involved in the first hour have been hearing about this the last few weeks. But you're going to hear a few minutes on this again today. In order to listen, you've got to get your Bible open. Listen like one being taught. When Satan attacked Jesus by perverting Scripture, what did Jesus do? Responded with the correct understanding of that Scripture. That's what we need to be doing in our lives not just merely a hearer of the word, but like Jesus then in verse 6, do what it says, even if it hurts, even if it costs everything. And for those of you today who may be here and may be going, I am not sure where I am at in my relationship with Christ. Well, if someone like that is here today or if you know someone like that, plead with them with the love of Christ not to walk in the light of their own intellect, not to try to have their own salvation, not to try their own righteousness because anything on our own fails. Take the torch that Christ lights with his word and walk in his ways. Don't leave this room today in the darkness of the abandonment of God. But also acknowledge that there's going to be dark times while we walk with God and for God. But the light of the Lord will always be there to guide us. Let's be willing to suffer as Jesus did. Yeah, it's a lower level suffering. Thank goodness none of us have to take on the sins of the whole world. Could you, I, I, I mean, if you want to just seriously spend a few moments pondering what that is like, I can't. You just, you can't, but that's what Jesus did. And so when we say being a suffering servant, obviously we know that even, we, even if we have suffering that leads to physical death, it's nothing like what he did for us. But let's be willing to suffer as Jesus did. willing to suffer, walk in the light of the Lord. He's given us the way to walk and the words to walk and the understanding of how to walk in His Word. And when we walk in the light of the Lord, we shine to the world. And then we get to share the love of Christ with those that are drawn to Him.
So that's my encouragement today with this, is simply, simply at the end of the day, be thankful that Christ listened to the Father, and He saves, and He saves those who listen to Him, and let's listen and walk in His ways. Lord, we thank you for this time together today. I thank you for everyone that's here. Lord, may we apply these incredible words from Isaiah to our lives. May we be the people that you have called us to be. May we, Lord, I just pray that we are never, ever people that refuse to listen to you. That we do listen. We do obey as Christ did. And that, Lord, we are thankful that you vindicate us and send us into this world that feels dark with light, a light that comes from you. So, Lord, we thank you for that, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, everyone.